morning to everybody. Great to see everyone here today and really good to be here. What a blessing to be together. And we really ought to stop and think that it really is a blessing that we can be together. Many parts of the world, there is not that freedom for the Lord's church to come together in an open way and worship God on a regular basis. And we just probably take that freedom for granted to a great extent. Let us always be thankful. But let me tell you also, it's important for us to be together because we encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 talk about how being together to worship God helps us stay strong in our faith, but also it encourages one another as we kind of build off of each other's presence and strength and encouragement and faith. It helps us grow in ours. And then verse 25 tells us that all of that comes together as we come together to worship God in the first day of the week. So what a blessing it is to be together. Over the first month of this new year, as I said, I was focusing upon kind of introspection, self-examination. Where am I? Where is the church? Where is the congregation? How can I serve God? How can I come to the Lord? How can I come back to the Lord if I've strayed away after coming to him? Now, at this point, I want us to start focusing upon a series of lessons that I want to bring on faith. I want us to really dig deep and examine what real faith is and thereby examine ourselves as to where I am in my faith. Doubting. Doubting is an enemy of faith. Doubting being able to live a faithful Christian life is probably one of the biggest hindrances to many people making up their mind to become a Christian. They doubt. I've heard this over and over again in my ministry, studying with people, talking with people. I just don't know that I can live that faithful life. I don't know that I can live that Christian life. God says you can with his help. From a standpoint of brutal honesty, the attitude of doubting that I can do that reveals a lack of faith, a lack of faith. Now, again, that's brutally honest, but that's really what it's talking about. You have a lack of faith if you're doubting that you can live the faithful life with God's help. Our faith is key to our salvation. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is key. And without faith we are doomed eternally. Our souls are lost. Jesus said so. Lost in our sin in John chapter 8 and verse 24. If you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now, faith is not magical. It is not mystical. It is something that we develop within us as we get into God's word. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in, in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. He said, the just shall live by faith. So what we're, what we're talking about there, from understanding what he's saying, is he's saying that our faith is our governor 
or our governing system, our directing system as to how we live our life on a daily basis. Our faith is that governing system or that guiding system as to our life in general. I've said for many, many years in trying to teach, to some extent at least, the depth of what real faith is. Faith is not a part of our life. Faith has to be our life. By grace we have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. So faith is key. Faith is key. Can I live the, the faithful Christian life after having become a Christian? Jesus says a number of times, O oh, you of little faith. Later in this particular series of studies, we're going to talk about the different ways that that term is used in the scriptures. Faith, the faith, and faithfulness. But I want us to really think about right now his statement, O oh, you of little faith. God would not expect us to live faithfully before him if it was impossible for us to live faithfully before him. And Jesus himself said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, and PowerPoint's not working right now, can you... Okay, thank you. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Faithfulness is part of faith. Faithfulness is faith being put into action on a consistent, regular, daily basis. I'm living my faith, and that's faithfulness. Jesus said, be faithful until death all the way through our lives on this earth and I will give you the crown of life. So he connects our receiving that eternal home in heaven with our consistent life of faithfulness, living our faith. Again, God would not expect us, would not, would not desire for us, would not command us to do something that's impossible. He would not expect us to be faithful if faithfulness was impossible for any one of us. Jesus encourages us that he and the Father will be with us as we strive to live our life in, in the strength of our faith, faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, we need to understand that we need to put God first in our life and then God will be with us. Okay, still not working. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. All these things. What is he talking about? He's just gone through a, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount as we call it. And he's just gone through something of a, a listing of the necessities of life. He's talked about food and clothing. And we could add to that by implication, I think, shelter. He said, you know, don't worry about food. God feeds the birds of the air. You talk about clothing, look at the lilies of the field, how they are arrayed or how they are dressed. He said Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed or dressed like one of these. The beauty of the lilies of the field. 
And then in verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. That is Jesus telling us that God will be with us as we strive to live that faithful life that Jesus instructs us to live so that we can be with him for eternity in heaven. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he's telling us, he gives us this invitation. If you'll come to me, I'll be with you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about a, a good night's sleep. He's not talking about physical rest primarily. He's talking about the rest that comes from the spiritual knowledge that I am in Christ. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. He goes on and says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. And that's what we do when we get into God's word. That's what we do when we come to worship God and study his word together as the church. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How it must be, how it, how it must be unsettling for so many people to know that they're living a life outside of Christ, to know that they're living a life of sinfulness. And, and I think a lot of times they put it out of their mind, or they try to explain it away, or they ignore it, or they try to kind of sugarcoat it, but so much for so many people, how it must be unsettling for them and, and rather maybe kind of on a surface level basis or a subconscious level, it, tormenting for them to know that they don't have rest for their souls because they're not living the life that promises them that rest. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you that rest. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, on the night, uh, verse 23, on the night of his, his betrayal, Jesus told the apostles who were gathered with him at that time. He said to them, if anyone loves me, let him keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. In, Ma in John chapter 14 and verse 23, he says, if you're living that faithful life, then my father and I will make our home with you. We'll be there with you. When he told the apostles on the day of his ascension back into heaven, in Matthew chapter 28, he told them, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the world, amen. Again, Jesus says, I will be with you as you are about that life, your life of faithfulness before me and dedication to me and service for me and before me. You come to me, I'll give you rest for your souls. And I will be with you as you live faithfully, obediently. My father and I will come to you, make our home with you, and I'll be with you always, 
even to the end of the age of the world or the end of your life here on this earth. Amen. And then we could look forward to a home with him in heaven. Can I live that faithful life? Can I do what Jesus instructs in Revelation 2 and verse 10? Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Well, Jesus encourages us that he and the Father will help us along that line. The scriptures also encourage us that we can live faithfully and victoriously. The apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now Paul certainly was faced with a great many very severe challenges. You can read about those in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 on your own. But he talks about all the different difficulties, challenges, stresses, physical, uh, physical problems that he was going through, even being beaten a number of times for his faith. But he said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, he had learned, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, think about all the people out there. Maybe some of us have had that kind of experience earlier in our lives. Maybe there's somebody here today who is going through that right now. And you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to, to uh, make it through life without God there as your director, without your faith as your governor or directing force in your life. And you keep stumbling all along the way. What's happening? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why, doesn't th why don't things work out better? I'm trying to do what I can do, but is God in your life? Are you living for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you striving to live that faithful life until death? Paul said, I can do all things not by himself, not by his own power, I can do all things through Christ because he's the one who strengthens me. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, John the apostle wrote, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The scriptures encourage us repeatedly and on an ongoing basis that we can live that life of faithfulness that Jesus expects of us and instructs us, commands us to live. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, the apostle Paul wrote along this line, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Now think about that particular phrase and that thought. More than conquerors from a physical base on a physical level? More than conquerors and that somehow he's talking about military might and conquest? Not at all. He's talking about on a spiritual level in our personal individual lives. We are more than conquerors by ourselves through our own power or ability? No. Just as Paul had written in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here he's saying, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no outside force that can separate us from the love of God for us, from his power to work in our lives, to stay faithful against our willingness to be separated. Now we can let our guard down. We can become self-willed. We can decide to go out on our own by ourselves and live that life of sinfulness, of unfaithfulness, of ungodliness. But as long as we are determined to live that faithful life, that life of dedication to God and our Lord and Savior, there is no outside force that can pull us away from that unless we are willing to let it pull us away from that. God will be with us. God will be with those, everybody, who will walk with him. Psalm 125, beginning with verse 1, the psalmist wrote this. Those who trust in the Lord, and look at this incredible imagery. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, like a mountain which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Oh, what an image of God surrounding the faithful, his people, all the way through their lives and until the Lord comes again first. The Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, if we turn over there, verses 5 and 6, let, the conduct be, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Oh, my. Not only does Jesus encourage us that we can live that faithful life, the scriptures encourage us that we can live that faithful life. As was brought up in Bible class this morning, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, the apostle Paul tells us that God's going to protect us against all the wiles of the devil to try to pull us away from God, to try to lead us out of faithfulness. He said, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. How? God is faithful to you, is the point Paul is making there. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. What an incredibly reassuring passage of scripture that is. God will not let the devil have his way with us against our will to let him have his way with us. And our faith is crucial to our standing strong against temptation. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul wrote this, above all, and he's been going through a whole listing of the spiritual armor that we need to wear every day through our life. 
In verse 16, he says, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench or put out all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith, that'll help us stand strong against the devil and all of his wiles, all of his ways, all of his methods to try to lead us away from faithfulness and into sinfulness. Can we live that faithful life? Again, God would not expect us to do something that was impossible. Jesus encourages us. We can live that faithful life with his help, with God's help. The scriptures encourage us along the same line. We can live that faithful life. We need to not ever let the devil have his way with us. Never give him our ear. Now, the title of this particular lesson, line of thought in this greater series on faith. Oh, you of little faith. Four times Jesus used that phrase in rebuke and instruction and correction. Oh, you of little faith. One time, Matthew chapter 8 and verse, six, uh, verse 26. He used it in connection with fear. There was a storm at sea. He and the apostles were in a boat. Jesus was asleep in the boat. The waves were coming into the boat. Those who were with him, they were trying to take care of things, keep the boat afloat, keep the water out as much as they could. And finally they come to him and they say, don't you care? You're asleep. Why are you sleeping? They were trying, they were, they were talking to him, waking him up because they felt they were in peril. He said to them, however, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was great calm. Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. They were with the Savior. They were with God the Son. Was he sleeping in the boat? Sure. But it was like they had to do it themselves. They woke him up. Lord, we're going to perish. Was their thought, or we're in danger at least. Why are you fearful, oh you of little faith? God has not given us a spirit of fear. In Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. We don't need to live a fearful life as Christians in this world. God has not given us that spirit of fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, the apostle Paul said exactly that. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but look at the contrast, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, again, the night of his betrayal, the next day he would be on the cross, and yet he reassured the apostles with him on that evening, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God has not given us that spirit of fear. He assures us that he'll be there with us. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, John the Apostle also wrote, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If, again, if we hold on to our faith, if we are determined, I'm going to live that faithful life, God will see us through. We need not fear of falling. The second time we're going to look at that Jesus used that phrase, O you of little faith, is in connection with anxiety or worry. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, Matthew 6 and verse 30, Jesus He's talking about, and as I've said, he's talking about the necessities of life in that particular immediate context. And so he says, he's talking about food, he's talking about clothing. In verse 30, he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? How many times do we find ourselves up against some particular physical or financial challenge in our life and we find ourselves teetering on the brink of losing our trust in God to see us through? That's faith. That's problem with our faith. In verses 33 and 34 of that same context, he goes on and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We need to just hang in there and continue to walk with God in faithfulness and he will see us through. The third time we look at is in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. And Jesus used that same phrase there, O you of little faith, in connection with doubt. The apostles were in a boat. They were rowing across the Sea of Galilee, I believe we'll see. Jesus had been up in the mountain praying. He had fed thousands of men. The apostles were rowing across the boat, or across the sea, and again a great tempest arose, endangering them physically of losing their lives if the boat would sink. And then they saw Jesus walking across the water. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you. And Jesus said, Come, come. Peter stepped out of the boat and started walking toward his Lord on the surface of the water. But then he became distracted by the storm. Distracted by the storm, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And in verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why? Did you doubt? Don't we come up against situations in our lives where we're tempted to start to doubt whether God is really there? Whether God is really going to take care of us? 
where we start thinking about all of a sudden this is all on me? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 21 and 22, we read that doubt can be crippling to our faith. It can cripple us in our prayer life. Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but you will also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, we may be able to understand that there was some miraculous element in what he was telling them there, but he's giving them a principle of not doubting in prayer, not letting doubt cripple their faith and their faithfulness. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, John perhaps brings it down more to the level of the individual Christian living through life. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything, and here's key, according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. But now let us not go to God in prayer, doubting that God is going to answer our prayers in a positive way, James, in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, he talked about this. He said, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, and driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, why does James de 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 declare such a man, identify such a man to be double-minded and un unstable in all of his ways? Because he harbors doubt in his heart. Doubt. And again, aren't we tempted? Doesn't the devil use doubt as a temptation to cause us to question, is God really going to be there to see me through this? Am I really going to make it? Is he really going to show me the way? Doubt can produce instability in our faithfulness, in our Christian lives, but we can trust God to see us through. Then the last time, the fourth time, Jesus uses that particular expression, oh, you of little faith, is in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8. And here, and this is difficult for us because he's talking about the difference between using simply and only human reasoning rather than asking God for the answer and the solution. They had no bread that they had brought. Jesus had just told them, given them a simple statement, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They thought he was talking about physical food because they had not brought any with them. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. 
Now, if we read the text further, he, he goes on and says, don't you remember when I fed those 5,000 with just a few loaves? Don't you remember when I fed those 4,000 with just a little bit of food? Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? We're talking about the almighty, the all-powerful God who is there for us as long as we walk with him. Compared to God, when it comes to our personal wisdom and ability to reason, we are so feeble-minded. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, or verse 20. Where is the wise? He's talking about the wise from a human perspective. Where is the scribe? Oh, that person is supposed to be so knowledgeable. Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? In comparison to God, when we get to the point where we think we've got it down. We are so wise, so all-knowing. We're like fools before God. His wisdom is so much farther, deeper, and extensive in reality than anything we can achieve on our own by ourselves. Now consider these stress points. Why did Jesus use that phrase, Oh, you of little faith? in connection with fear, in connection with anxiety or worry, in connection with doubt, and in connection with just relying purely on my own human reasoning and not asking God into the equation. Now consider these stress points in reverse order. Relying on human reasoning only, not taking God into consideration and whatever the circumstance might be, leads to doubt. And doubt leads to worry, and worry produces fear. Did you get that? Human reasoning alone leads to doubt. Doubt leads to worry, and worry leads to fear. Actually produces fear. But faith is the ultimate answer to all these stresses. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, John wrote, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith. Our faith is our shield against the devil's attempts to destroy us spiritually. As we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul said, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, whatever the devil might throw against you. And faith develops as we get into God's word. Romans 10 and verse 17, as we study and learn and understand and make the proper applications, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we need to take Paul's instruction, his exhortation seriously. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, when he said, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
We need to be in God's word. Faith develops as we do that consistently. And faith gets stronger and stronger and faith abides as we put ourselves into developing our faith by studying God's word, contemplating the meaning, and praying that God will help us make the proper application. Are you struggling with your faith today? Are you struggling? God has the answer. He will help you, and we want to help you. We're ready to study with you if that's what you need and would desire, if you'll ask us. We're ready to pray with you for whatever the needs might be if you'll step forward or talk with us privately and let us know. If you're ready to come to your Lord in faithfulness, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith openly in Christ, you can be baptized this very morning for the remission of your sins. The blood that is shed on the cross will still cleanse you of all that guilt. And Jesus has promised he will be with you always to help you in your faith. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.